What's up, Oasis family? Hope you are well. I, I love uh, Caleb and Kayla so much. They are incredible people, incredible friends, and um, so looking forward to you getting to hear from them. Uh, Kayla is actually a profound Bible teacher slash Bible scholar. I always get nervous when preaching she's in the room because she knows so much about the Word. She'll be preaching soon, actually. Um, next month. I haven't told her that yet. Um, but uh, she's going to be uh, preaching soon. I told her she was preaching, but I didn't tell her when. And it's actually next month. So that was just a live announcement. So I'm looking forward to hearing that, you know, uh, and, and so you're going to be blessed by that. And uh, today is Father's Day, and I am a dad. I have two wonderful children um, that my wife, Christina, gave me. Like, she just did such a great job doing that. And uh, I've always put pressure on her for three children. And I've recently not pressured her to do that anymore because it's like, our family's great. A boy, a girl, but who knows? We might adopt one day, you know, depending on the recession. You know, I'm just playing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, no, man. Listen, you got to have faith, man. We got to have faith. People are like, oh, I can't believe he's not going to adopt a kid or a recession. I was joking. I was joking. Everybody just calm down and relax. You will probably see us one day with uh, uh, another child. I really feel that. Because here's the thing. God is our father. And I think that uh, my desire to be a dad is what makes me most like God. I, I think sometimes when we say we want to be like God and we think of you know holiness, great. We think of peace, great. We think of running around loving people, great. But God's greatest desire on planet earth and in the heavens is to be a dad. And matter of fact, if you look at um, our faith started by the uh, by a person by the name of Abraham, you could say, where he's literally called the father of our faith. And so without Abraham believing, you and I cannot believe. So faith started uh, in Christianity through Abraham. And then even uh, the religious leaders at the time would say that they were the children of Abraham and they would do all this stuff. So Abraham, this calling that we would be a generation of people, his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, of the sky came from Abraham in the Old Testament. And one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible that I really wanna live by as God continues to bless my life is Abraham had just become rich. Anybody out there wanna be rich? Woo! I wanna be rich. Uh, and it would be awesome to be rich. It'd be awesome to have uh, infinite resources uh, financially. And Abraham had this profound moment where he had God's blessing, but he did not have children. And he turns to the Lord and said, what good are all your blessings if I don't have a son? And I feel like one of the things that God uses or the enemy uses to attack men is, is he wants to reverse that and say, what good are all your children if I don't have your blessings? And he, he makes us want to pursue worldly accomplishments and worldly things when actually not only do we have our personal family, and if you're, you're single, that's okay. You, you also have God's family. Being single is not a curse in the kingdom of God. It is actually a blessing time to prepare. Uh, matter of fact, we don't talk about this a lot, but a lot of times single people use that time now because you get to do uh, so much of what God has called you to do. You actually have free margin and free time. You don't have the responsibility. So, so in the kingdom of God, um, both single and, and marriage are profound because together we are all God's children. And so really... As we celebrate this Father's Day, I want to use this opportunity to remind us that the, God's deepest desire is to have children. And so um, just to give you a little backstory before I read the passage of Scripture is, I don't know if you know this, but in Romans, Jesus is called the second Adam. Isn't that interesting? The second Adam. 
it was God's second attempt at using a son to change the earth because at first he wanted to use Adam. And the Bible says that he created Adam and then from Adam, he brought Eve and he gave Adam and Eve really two responsibilities. He wanted to have a fatherly relationship with them and they were like his kids in the garden. And he said, I want you to do two things. I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. And he gave them purpose. Uh, Fruit in the Bible is not things or success and accomplishment. It's anything you do in partnership with God. So he says, I want to give you a relationship that would produce something in your life, which is called fruit. So if you're producing something in your life that has nothing to do with your relationship with God, that's not fruit, that's accomplishments. Nothing wrong with accomplishments, but that is not the calling of God. Matter of fact, if you are accomplishing things, but you have no fruit, there's a spiritual DNA within within you that makes you feel discontented because although you have these things, God did not help you get those things. And and we need to have things that we know God has helped us get. And that is fruit. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. What is multiplication? Increase. So what did God give Adam and Eve? He literally gave them two main things to their calling as their father. He said, I want you to have amazing relationship and I want you to have more. How cool is that? But the more did not come until the relationship was solid with God. And so then, um, obviously you guys know the story, the serpent came into the garden and they rebelled against God. Now here's what's crazy about God being a father is that God spent six days on the environment and only a few moments on them. And I feel like in the church culture, we want to spend all our time trying to fix people instead of the environment we're putting people in. Because rebellion is when you go against your environment. Ignorance is when you go along with it. And I feel like the world needs to know that God is their father because the world is creating an environment for us that people are just going along with. And that is not rebellion. I don't believe America is in a rebellious nation. I don't believe the world is a rebellious nation. The only people that can be in rebellion is the church. The only people that could be in rebellion is Israel. I I feel like preaching. I'm going to throw my binder early. God never called Babylon in the Bible rebellious. He called Israel rebellious because he had not provided the environment for Babylon. He provided the environment for Israel. So when Israel went against their environment, they were in rebellion. Wickedness is you never had that environment. Um, um, Ignorance is you never had that environment. And so what God wants to do through the second Adam, which he did with Jesus on the cross, is he gave you an opportunity to have access to the Father to create a new environment that you could be the product of. Because at the end of the day, we are all products of our environment. One psychologist told me this, is that they did these studies and some psychologists, many believe that it's actually impossible for a human being from age zero, from birth to 25, to not be a byproduct of their environment. Meaning that no matter what you teach them about faith, no matter what you tell them, if you read scriptures to your children, but your home environment is chaotic, they will grow up to live a life of chaos. Because it doesn't matter what you told them, the environment you put them in is, is, is what will produce. So, so then God, the first thing God wants to do, if you will, is through faith in Jesus, create this garden of Eden environment within our souls because the world's not gonna give that to us so that we can be a product of our environment, the kingdom of God. And so this is massively important that we understand that a relationship with Jesus is not just about going to church, join a connect group, please do all those things. It's about having a relationship with your father in heaven. In John 14, verses 1 through 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. 
And then he says something powerful in verse two. There is more than enough room in my father's home. My father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Where, where is he talking about? There's more than enough room in my father's home. He's not talking about the crib. He's not, he's not pull over, like, you know, Rome, like downtown Rome. He's not talking about Jerusalem. Where's he talking about? He's talking about heaven. So have you ever thought for a second that when you go to heaven, you're moving back in with your daddy? In the world, moving back in with our father is a failure. In the kingdom, it's a victory. You see how being with the father already goes against kingdom code? If at 45, I have to move back in with my daddy, if I, if I tell you, oh, I had to move back in with my father. It's like, somebody say, yikes. That is like principal failure in the world. You don't move back in with your parents, but he called heaven his father's home. And we actually want to make heaven like some accomplishment. We made it to heaven. No, heaven is just moving back home. Heaven is just moving back home. And I think that we've stripped that feeling out of it because moving back home has no, like, hey, when I die, I get to move back home, which means what? This is not my home. So one of the things that will torture you, this is what's tortured me in my life, is I try to do things to make earth feel like home. I would say for the mature believer, you always feel out of place. Can I throw this? Zoom in on this, is it? Would I break something if I throw this? So what I see believers do that are mature is they want to feel at home. They want to feel comfortable. They want to find a place. But if you've actually graduated to this wonderful relationship with the Father, your heart longs to go back home. And the only reason you are here is to prepare everyone else to meet their Father. It's not to feel comfortable. It's not to feel in place. It's not to find a place to work. It's not to find, all those things should happen. But at the end of the day, he's like, hey, I'm going back to my father's home. There's room in my father's home. And if it were not so, would I have told you uh, that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And he says this powerful thing, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Can I just tell you that everything that God wants to do in your life is so that you would be with him where he is. It is always about the presence of God. If God calls you to that career, if God calls you, that's because that's where he's going and he wants you to be with him where he is. If he's not there, why would he want you there either? The reason why you're called to that, the reason why you feel compelled to that, because that's where God is going. He was trying to tell the disciples where he was going and how excited he was to be with the Father. I just find that really interesting that the most perfect human, obviously Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he could have said, man, I really want to be here. I want to continue to be here and do all these awesome things. But after three years of ministry, Jesus couldn't wait to go home. I just find that so, I, I can't wait to go to heaven. Anybody? <laughs> I can wait. Matter of fact, I don't want to meet the Lord today. Like, please. I want to live a long life. Why? Because I want to stay around and I want to accomplish a bunch of stuff and I want to be there for my kids. But Jesus in and of himself said, "Where I re- my heart longs for home. And I want to tell somebody today that has been really discouraged, that has been feeling really out of place in their job, really feel out of place in the world. You feel like you don't, your friends, I feel like your heart just might be longing for home. And God's trying to teach you that you're never going to be comfortable here. You're never going to be comfortable here because there's this longing for eternity that Ecclesiastes said, the Lord has put eternity in our hearts. Jesus had eternity in his hearts, which means spending forever in the Father's home, heaven. And so he says, 
to them in verse four. And guess what? That's where I'm going. And y'all know the way to where I'm going. Thomas is a G because in verse five, he says, no, we don't, Lord. Can you, can you be, I want to let you know you can be real with Jesus. Like Thomas was a G. Thomas was the same Thomas that was like, they call him doubting Thomas. Because later in the scriptures, Jesus would say he was resurrected and Thomas was like, okay, for real. Okay, for real, for real. Let me see the holes in your hands. And, hold, and, and Thomas, and Jesus had to show Thomas that he had uh, the, the nail marks in his feet and his hands for Thomas to believe. And here he is trying to tell Thomas, uh, tell the disciples that they know the way that Jesus is going. Thomas like, nope, we, nope, we don't, we don't. Uh, he's just so bold. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says something powerful. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. What an indictment on Christianity and coming to church. Have you been to this many Sunday services and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Uh, When I was looking for churches, uh, back in the day when I first came to Oasis, I went to a men's event before I went to a, uh, uh, a church service. And Philip was uh, sharing this verse at a men's event, which is why I'm, I'm sharing it today. And the, the reason why I made the choice to come to Oasis is Philip said this sentence, I'll never forget. He said, Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said, what if men lived their life that way? When people had seen us, they had seen the Father. And I said, that's my calling. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so when he said that, I, I felt this burden that when people meet me, they have, I have introduced them. They, they, I am familiar to the love of the Father in heaven. And, and so he says, um, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Uh, dads, one of the great ways you can be an awesome dad it is an awesome husband, an awesome everything really, is to make sure that the words you speak are not your own. So many times I have said things that are my own. I need to say what God wants me to say to my wife, to my kids, to my community. And, and, and by the way, this is not a gender thing. When you have the father in you, the Bible says there's no male or female. So it's not a gender thing. It's not as men, we need to, that's the church. That's that slimy masculine stuff as men, the men of God. No, the the father, there's no men, male or female, Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So that means a woman can manifest the father just the way that a man can manifest the father. So it's not a gender thing. So don't, don't think about it that way. Where, where it's like, oh, if I'm not a man, what, what, how's that apply to me if he's talking about the Father? The, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Yeah. So together as a church, we are in Christ, which means even if you are a 12-year-old little girl watching this, you can manifest the Father's heart to everyone around you. And you could be a 12-year-old little girl and people could say, man, when I've seen you, I have seen the Father. That is the power of a relationship with, with Jesus. And so he says, the words I speak are not my own. Hey, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe the work you've seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So that means, oh my God. Woo, that means the more as a leader that I go be with the Father, the more that people I'm leading can do. 
So it's not about what I do. I was telling uh, one of our young leaders, uh, Golden State Warriors about to win the national championship, praise God. And I said, the issue with the church is that I'm Steve Kerr. If you don't know basketball, he's the coach of the Warriors. You're Steph Curry. The issue with the church is the pastor wants to be Steph Curry. And they want the person that they're leading to be Draymond Green, which if you don't know basketball, Draymond Green passes Steph Curry the ball. Can't shoot to save his life. So we don't want our leaders to take the shot. We want to take the shot. And hey, I'm open. Pass the ball to me. Let me shoot. Let me be the leading scorer. But no, I'm just a coach. I'm just a coach. So, so my, your success, if I am your pastor, is directly related to how much I go be with the Father. It's not how well I preach. It's not what I do. It's not my decisions. If we are leading a church, if you're leading a business, what if you t- adopted that the success of everyone around you was based off you going to be with the Father? And so what happens is we want success to be because we go to work. Oh my God, this is, this is so good. No, success is when we go be with the Father. And then he says something crazy. So because I went to be with the Father, you can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The word Father has been brought up 12 times in this passage of scripture. And this is probably one of the biggest ways of success that I have seen is access to the Father. What do you think, what is the devil trying to make you believe would make you the most successful in life? Using your gifts, a plan, a strategy, but he's saying, y'all are gonna do more than I did. And Jesus did a lot. And he's saying, the reason why you are going to do more than I did, we don't ever tell believers this. Y'all wanna do more than Jesus? Make some noise. No, Jesus, like, no. No, he says we wanna be like Jesus. Yeah. We're like, we wanna be like him. Jesus never said, you're gonna be like me. He said, you're gonna do more. Yeah. What? Yeah. How is that possible? Because I'm giving you access to the Father. The greatest thing God... Jesus has ever done is give you access to the Father. And he says these really cool things. I'm like, well, how do I get access to the Father? He said this very specifically, which we're going to jump into in a limited time I have. He said, no one can get to the Father except through me. Why? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that means that if we can adopt these three principles, that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life, we have complete, unlimited access to our Father And not only will we do more than the people we are comparing ourselves to on Instagram, the Bible says we will do more than Jesus. Read what Jesus did. And God says, you want to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to what Jesus did, and you can do more than that. But we're locked in on what the more is doing of our neighbor. We're locked in on what Johnny and them is doing and what we scroll through in our stories and what they're doing. And we want to be like that. And Jesus is like, I actually know that that's in your human DNA. So let me satisfy that desire. And I'm going to make sure you do more than me. You are going to do more than Jesus. So if Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can get to the Father except through him, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that means that when we understand and live out that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, it completes and gives us full, unlimited access to our Father in heaven, which, by the way, is the way that we satisfy that need to be doing more. Jesus knows that there's more. Remember, in the beginning, I said the purpose of God's people was relationship and more. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful is do whatever, everything you do, you do through relationship, and because of that, there's more. Multiplication means 
more. And so it's important that you understand this. And I feel like I want to tell somebody this is that God has called you to multiply and you're trying to add things to your life. When you take 10 and 10, 10 plus 10 is 20, 10 times 10 is 100. So God will take two tens. And if you're obeying him, he'll make two tens 100 when on your own, two tens is only 20. That's why it's so important that we operate in kingdom multiplication, not earthly adding. Earthly adding is this is what's missing. Let me chase it. Kingdom multiplication is God can take two tens and make it 100 if you are living the way, the truth, and the life. So if this is what gives us access to the Father, and again, I don't, it's not a prosperity gospel, but God's called us to increase. It says, be fruitful and multiply. It was the first thing he told to Adam, but the first thing was be fruitful, which is relationship. So we need to know the way, the truth, and the life. And the way simply means the journey, the path, the road. So he is saying, I am the journey. I think so many times we're afraid of being on a journey. Journey, nobody wants to go on a journey. If you say, hey, you want to go get something to eat? I'm in. Like, where are we going? Even when you say that, I hope it's down the street. But if you just get in the car and you're driving for five hours, it's like, I thought we were, so, I thought we were getting something to eat. Right. Yeah, but it was a journey. Oh, I don't want to go on a journey. I want some food. Right. Does anybody want to go on a journey? Does anybody like, it's almost the first thing that Jesus is, is so off-putting. The life is what I want. I don't want the journey. Give me the life. So the main issue of patience is Jesus literally like, I am patience. I am the journey. I don't know a single person that you could promote a journey to. And they're like, where are we going? How long is it going to take? No, 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 I don't want to go on a journey. Anybody want to go on vacation, go on a journey? No, I need to know where we're going. Right? You go to the airport, you go on Delta, and you go book your tickets. You're booked tickets for a journey, and they can just take you wherever they want to take you. Nobody's buying. That airline, the journey airlines is going out of business in one week because no one's going to pay money to go on a journey. They need to know where they're going. And so Jesus is saying, no, I am the journey. And you need to be willing to go on a journey in order to have access to the Father. And if you're not willing to go on a journey, then you can't have access to the Father. And you have to be tolerant that other people are on a journey. Now, how do you start your journey? You start your journey with grace. Grace. Without grace, you cannot start your journey. I want to write this down. The way begins with grace. Believers, we are so bad at grace. Grace is free. Does anybody know what the opposite of grace is? It isn't judgment. Because we think when people are judging us, we go, um, um, you know, don't judge me. God's a God of grace. No, the opposite of grace is not judgment. The opposite of grace is works. It says you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. So when you are not operating in grace, you want to work for what God wants to give you and you want people to work for what God wants to give them. Work for it. Work for my love. Work for my approval. Work for my respect. Work for my honor. I won't honor you unless you've earned it. When God says we should honor people who are least deserving of honor, we should honor them more because that's grace. Grace you cannot earn. So the opposite of grace is earning. Whenever you see someone who will literally be behind on their rent for three months and have 10 people that love them and won't ask them anything and they want to pay them back, they're works-oriented because they don't want to receive anything by grace. Grace is for humble people. Works is for prideful people because the more that you work at it, the more you can say it was you. When it's grace, it's God. The way begins with grace. And let me tell you this a few things because like grace, okay, what is grace? Grace is undeserved kindness, favor. It's God extending, leaning towards you with kindness. And here's the area where I've seen the church mess up grace the most. 
because you cannot be on the way without grace. Number one, and it is in this order, is grace for your enemies. Whoa, there's no grace for enemies. There's judgment for enemies. There's offense. I say, love your enemies, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44. Pray for those, those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. He gives grace to people who follow him. He gives grace to people who don't. He gives grace to wicked people, and he gives grace to evil people. I mean, uh, good people, and he gives grace to evil people. He, he, he just gives grace. And he's like, somebody asked me this yesterday. They were like, like I noticed that you um, like, don't hold things against people who hurt you. And I'm like, because I wouldn't dare hold something against someone when God didn't hold it against me. This has been a while since you've had a real bad sin. Like I live, like I'm doing something over here that's like I'm around the corner from sin. Like sin is never too far from me. Like I didn't move far away enough. And some people, you're so righteous. It's been 20 years. You, your testimony is still that you got delivered from cigarettes in 85. And so it's like, you, that's your testimony. Like God is not forgiving you of anything because you're perfect now. And so then now, you, now what God wants to make a journey for someone else becomes your expectation. Because I did it. No, no you didn't. Grace did it. Grace did it. So, so grace, one of the things that God will teach you grace is he, he, he always teaches you grace through people who don't deserve your grace. Yeah. Like he brings people, it's almost like God sends people to offend you to see if you have grace. He sends people to, do you have grace? Because grace begins the way. Uh, so grace for your enemies. Another thing that is powerful is saving grace. There's nothing you can do that earns love from God, that earns salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by grace. Saved you by grace. This is where most people stop, by the way. They stop with the grace that saves. But there's also a changing grace. Changing grace is no joke. That's the grace I'm on right now. If you're really encountering grace, if you're really on the way, you're changing. So the journey is like this. The journey starts with God loves you just the way you are. But as he walks with you on the way, you become different. You can't hang out with Jesus and be exactly the same. You start to be restored and redeemed to your original image. And then the longer you're on the journey, the more you talk about Jesus. Because why? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So then when you're on the way, you start to get back things that the enemy took from you. And it doesn't say, let the saved say so. It says, let the redeemed say so. So until you start getting some stuff back, now it's time to talk about Jesus because I'm getting some stuff back that I lost through sin, that I lost through family origin because now I'm a part of a new family. I'm on the way. I'm on the way. It's a changing grace. Titus 2, verse 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, saving grace. But verse 12 is, gets interesting. It teaches us to say no. Sometimes we think grace means yes. Yes, absolutely. God's like, yeah, do whatever you want. There's grace. No, grace has no's in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's that word, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That is grace. Then there is a grace to serve. 
1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. And then there's grace for provision. And God is able to make all grace abound to you in 2 Corinthians 9.8, that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, one of the ways that I know a believer is on the way, when Christ says, I am the way, is there's grace for his enemies. He's or her enemies, there's a saving grace, never trying to earn God's love. There's a changing grace. We can see the transformation that grace is having in their life. They're serving others. They have a grace to serve. Serving doesn't burn them out. They're grace to serve, not asked to. So many times we ask people to serve. We have to pray that they're grace to serve. Someone who's grace to serve just looks for opportunities. They're not waiting to get an email from the church staff. They, they wanna serve because they're graced for it and then grace for provision. And remember, the opposite of grace is works. Works. You don't have to work to be saved. You don't have to work to change. You don't have to go, I have so many things I need to work on. Somebody said that to me. I got a lot of things I need to work on. No, 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 don't say that. I have so many things that the grace of God needs to teach to me and reveal to me to do. That is the proper theological way to change. You don't have so many things you need to work on. Your relationship with God is made complete. God forbid that Bailey or Dallas uh, uh, on, on Father's Day would tell any one of you or any one of the people that they know, man, I have so many things to work on when it comes to my relationship with my dad. That is the worst thing that they could ever say to you. So as a believer, the worst thing you could, uh, God could ever hear you say is I got to work on my relationship with my dad. He's like, no, I worked on that already. Yeah. Like I G sent Jesus, your relationship with me has been restored. There's grace for you, but that grace is going to teach you. We teach our children from a place of grace, and it is a beautiful thing. So then now, once you're on the way, once you're on the way because of grace, what did Jesus come full of? Grace and truth. Grace begins your journey. Truth can complete your journey. It is the truth of God that is no joke. Now, may I be honest with you? This is where the real warfare begins. I have found that when I was getting saved and it was salvation, enemy left me alone. As soon as I started moving forward, he was like, oh, you, truth? Ooh, we can't have a believer with grace and truth. I'll let them have grace, but it's truth that builds their life. That's why it says that you we're on the step before the life. What does it say? That if you build your house on the word, the truth, then the, when the storms come, you will not, they, they, your house will still remain standing. So the enemy will let you build something you ever seen a little kid? I, I was at the beach one time and these two little kids were brother and sister. And I watched this little boy watch his sister build a sandcastle at the beach. And it, I, I, I saw the little boys just looking at, I can't remember who it was, but saw a little boy watching his sister work on this sandcastle. When she got that bad boy just right, he came over like, just, you know those baby swipes? He just did the baby swipes where they just, they, I don't know why a baby has so much strength to swipe, but when they start swiping, he swiped and she was bawling. I'm like, man, I feel like, not to compare him to the enemy, but that's what the enemy does. He will watch you build something that doesn't have a firm foundation and then knock it down in front of you. Like, and you think God's moving because it's being built and he's just waiting for you to finish it. He's, so it's more painful when, when he knocks it down. He's waiting for you to finish it. Because actually when the enemy knocks something down that you've completed, one thing about the girl, she did not build another sandcastle. She just cried. Had, the, had her brother knocked it down when she first got started, she would have had the motivation to keep going. Yeah. So he waited because he knew she'd worked on it so much. He, she, it's over. Yeah. 
You ain't gonna build that. Yeah. So some of the times the enemies knock something down that you didn't build, but if you would've just built it on a firm foundation, yeah. the enemy will try to knock it down and can't. Yeah. And so this, the firm foundation is truth. And this is where we graduate to, gosh, this is a difficult one because he said he was the way, the truth. And the truth is the reality, the opposite of an illusion, a divine truth revealed to man that has a, uh, it's, uh, it's like this divine moral compass that is, it's no joke. And, and truth is divinely revealed. It's not told. It's divinely revealed. So when you have pastors saying, we need to tell the world the truth, that's not true. That's not true. It's not revealed by men. It's, matter of fact, in scripture, God has never asked a man to create a law. Ever. One Bible scholar uh, did a study on laws, the laws of man. And, and even when Moses gave the Ten Commandments, Prior to Moses, there was this king named Hammurabi, and Hammurabi created a bunch of laws that basically were good laws that he felt that this is how you be a good human. And as the Bible scholars studied uh, God's laws and Hammurabi's laws, um, um, they were very similar. So like the Ten Commandments, some of the things were kind of the same. So the, the, the journey that they were on was, why did God just not tell people to follow Hammurabi's laws? Why did he create new laws from God when they were so similar? because there's never been a law given by God that was written with a human pen. God wrote his laws with his finger, his finger. So when God created man, is the only thing, he spoke everything in existence. But when he made mankind, the Bible said he put his hands in the dirt. When he created a law, he used his hands. So when the woman came to Jesus, when she was caught in adultery, these are the only two times in scripture where we have God putting his hands in dirt at creation and then redemption. He literally used his hands. So what am I saying to you is that God would never give a man a law on his behalf. He will give it directly to the person. Hebrews 10 says that God will write his laws in our hearts. So then you gotta understand this about the truth. I want you to write this down. A healthy church tells the truth to each other and preaches the gospel to the world. That's the difference. I don't tell my coworker the truth of God's word because they cannot comprehend it because they don't have the Holy Spirit. But my homegirl who says she's a believer, I need to tell her the truth. Did you have the Holy Spirit? And we need to tell her in love. The Bible says speak the truth in love, but that was a church context. That wasn't an Instagram story out to the world context where it's like, oh, I'm so angry about Pride Month. Let me just, no, 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 no. Well, they need to know the truth. No, they don't. Can I prove it to you? Yeah. I will prove it to you. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples an interesting thing, and I wish I would have written it down. He said, there's so much I want to tell you, but your souls can't bear to hear it. That's what he said. But when the spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. So Jesus like, there's a truth you need to know right now, but you don't have the Holy Ghost, so I can't tell you because you won't be able to receive it. So Jesus never withheld grace from anyone, but there's a passage of scripture that said, I want to tell you, but I'm not. So you are really operating as a mature Christian when there's a truth you want to tell, but you don't because you're waiting for the spirit to tell that person the truth. He said, I'm not gonna tell you because when the spirit comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. So there's not truth telling, it's truth leading. So this is why Jesus is the perfect person to tell you the truth because he's on the journey with you on the way. 
What Christians want to do is not get on the journey with you. They want to tell you the truth and then go somewhere else. But Jesus is telling you the truth in order. So so the way that I, I happen, like, and this is so, when I was smoking weed and like crazy stuff, all God ever told me when we were on the journey was, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're amazing. I love you. Lord, you want me to stop smoking weed? Man, I just love you. I want what's best for you. I, he never corrected anything. I was like, man, following Jesus is great. The moment I got filled with the Holy Spirit, he was like, now, come on, homie. You need to relax. You need to forgive. You were wrong. The correction went up. Why? Because the Bible says that I could understand that God corrects who he loves. He disciplines who he loves. So if they don't know that God loves them, then there cannot be any correction. This is so wildly important that we understand that, that the church has called for people in the world, not to tell them the truth, but I was going into a Ralph's one time and, and, and it said, this store is a Code Adam store. Code Adam was named after a little boy um, who was kidnapped in the 80s and uh, he got lost in a store and someone kidnapped him and they did very bad things to him and killed him. And uh, his name is Adam Walsh. And so they created this system in a retail store called a Code Adam where when a little boy or a little girl is lost, they shut down the entire store and they announce Code Adam over the loudspeakers. And that means that every single person in the store is to stop what they're doing and look for the lost boy or girl until they are found. So what happens is, is when they find the little boy or the little girl in the store, now they need to tell the little boy or the little girl the truth of the dangers of wandering off in the store but they don't speak the truth over the loudspeaker. It's Adam, where are you? We're looking for you. So what we do when we understand the truth is we try to speak the truth over the loudspeaker. Can you imagine being in a store where a little boy's lost and someone comes over the loudspeaker and says, Adam, why did you run off? See, this is what happens. You need to stop wandering off in the church and da, 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 da. Adam might not even want to come out of hiding because he's too scared to get in trouble with the people that are looking for him. God, out! No, God doesn't want people to think that when he finds them, they're in trouble. So it's just, Adam, we're looking for you. Son, we're looking for you. Daughter, we're looking for you. And when we find you, we are going to tell you the truth. But when you're lost, we have no truth to tell you. We're just looking for you. We're seeking you. We're loving you. Adam, we love you. Come out of hiding. And this is why when the church gets this right and understands that primarily it is the Spirit's job for the truth and it is the church's job for grace, in Hebrews it says, make sure that no one misses out on the grace of God. Never once says, church, make sure they don't miss out on the truth. Each other, tell the truth. Tell the truth and love to each other. You better stop lying to your homegirl when she tells you she's dating that new dude or lying to that dude. No, tell him the truth. If he's a believer, tell him the truth. But if they're not, they need the gospel. And this is why this is so profoundly important because now we're talking about fatherhood. I feel like, and I could be wrong, but like when you start your journey with Jesus, when he says it's the way and you start it with grace, it's like you're on your way to the father, but it's not until you get the truth that you actually can appreciate your father in heaven. And here's what makes me think that because in John 8, 44, Jesus says something interesting to some religious leaders. He said, for you are the children of your father, the devil. Wait a minute. So now there's father God and father the devil? We love to call him the adversary. We love to call him the deceiver. 
We love to call him the whatever, the Antichrist. But Jesus said, that's your daddy. <laughs> what? You remind me of him. That's what he was saying. You remind me of your daddy, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning and he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what does a father do? I mean, not to give you a science class, but the father does not give birth to anything. The father plants literally seed in a woman and then the woman has a baby. So the enemy's job, a lie is a seed that you water and that you, because what happens when a woman gets pregnant? They change their diet. They do things to take care of what's in them. And some of y'all are taking care of a lie. And then nine months from now, the lie gives birth to death because you took care of it. Because you nurtured it. Because you rubbed that little lie for nine months and you change your diet. You fed it. And I want to tell you, the reason why things are happening in your life today is not because God's bad. Is that you were eating for two nine months ago. When the lie came, you fed it. And now it's birthed something in your life. So this is where the war for fatherhood happens. It's not on the way. It's on the truth. That's where the real war for God to be your heavenly father happens because the devil's the father of lies. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't believe the truth. Don't believe the truth. It doesn't matter what it is. Don't believe the truth. And so it's important that we understand that God wants us to understand the truth. Now, once we're on the way and the truth, then he says the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is full access to the father. We're living the life that our journey and our truth produced. Remember the journey's grace. We're living the life that grace and truth produced. The life is the life that grace and truth produced. Please write that down. And so what happens is now if you jump over to Matthew 6, 9, verse 10, this is how we actually can be uh, believers uh, operating in our Father's house and in our Father's love because when he taught them to pray, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 9 and 10, pray like this, our Father in heaven, in the Father's house, holy is your name, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that word will is not doing what God wants. It's, it's desire. It's his best offer, which can be accepted or rejected. So when God, uh, it, this is so important you understand this about the Father's will, is the pro- Father's will is an offer but he makes sure you can accept it or reject it. He never forces you to do it. You're never doing something because God made you. It's a choice. He says, I set this before you. I set this before you. And, and, and the way, the truth, and the life gives you access to the Father. And what the Father will do in that access is offer his best. The will means best offer. Because if we think it's just what God wants, that's a limited understanding of God's will. Because we're like, that's not what I want. I don't want what I want. I want what God wants. But what the devil wants to do, he wants to take you back to the father of lies and go, what you want is better. But since God wants that, go ahead and do it because you're a Christian, aren't you? But what you want is better and God doesn't want to give it to you. What you want is better. No, the will is not just what God wants. It's what's best. 
It's the ability to discern what is best. So what happens is as you go on the way, the truth, and the life, what does access to the Father do? It says, here's my best. Here's my best. Here's my best. Choose it. And you now live the best life. Truly, when you say you're living your best life, it's not because God gave, it's because you know how to pick God's best. I know how to pick God's best in my career. I know how to pick God's best. And it's often different from what other people would do. And the Bible says that when we do this, we actually have the potential to do more than Jesus did through access to the Father. This is why I believe that the enemy has had a concerted effort to destroy the, the, the Father's and honor for the fathers. And I want to challenge us, even um, just anybody who can affirm a man right now. Affirmation for men is at its lowest point. Mm-hmm. Expectations at its highest and affirmation is at its lowest. And be careful what you affirm about a man because there are men out there that love you, that love children, and we, we no, nope, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And so what's happening is the Bible says at the end of Malachi that God wants to turn the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the children. And that's what this is about. And so we need men to have the heart of God towards people. And they might not have God's money yet, but they got God's heart. They might not even have God's wisdom yet, but they have God's heart. They might even have God's decision-making ability. Oh man, you're just always going back and forth. You can't make a decision. And you know what? I got God's heart though. And at the end of the day, God can teach him all those things. God can teach them all those things. And, and, and here's what's crazy. And I want to speak this over the marriages right now because it's important. The Bible says a man who finds a wife has attained a good thing and so obtains grace, favor from God. So, so you are his favor. So then now, once he has favor on the way, you're his grace. So that means you typically marry someone who's on the way. And the, the devil goes, he ain't there. Is he on the way? You want to date someone on the way. You're married to someone on the way. That's grace. I'm on the way. Because if I'm his grace, that means he's on the way. And without me, his grace, he ain't getting there. Ooh, this is turning into marriage counseling right now. This is so good. This is so good. And then one day, because I'm there, he's going to get there. She's going to get there. And I'm, God's going to present his best. And he's going to choose. God's best. And that is the culmination of access to the Father, the ability to choose what is best, even if it's different than what you want. And this is what Jesus came to do for you and I. And I'm praying that your access to the Father today on Father's Day would give you the profound ability to choose what's best for you. Father, we thank you so much that just as as I shared this this word, that, that believers will be able to choose what's best and that the enemy, who's the father of lies, wants them to choose what they want and wants them to believe that what they want is what's best. But sometimes what's best is different than what we want. And so God, we come against the lies of the enemy that would say that we're just doing what God wants, but what we want is really best. No, God's will is not just what he wants. It's his best offer to humanity, the word says. And so it's your perfect divine will is what's best. And so God, if we can have the faith to believe that you know better, that you're God, but we won't operate with the devil as our father as he makes us believe lies, but that our father in heaven who's revealing the truth to us by his spirit would lead us to the perfect will of God and that through access to the father, we could literally live the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Love you guys so much. Uh, I didn't throw in my binder, but I wanted to multiple times. I really believe God's going to do something. Probably need to watch this a couple more times, but I think that God's doing something in my heart through uh, what I studied in this scripture today. And I hope he did the same thing in yours. Man, I love y'all so much. Happy Father's Day. Be encouraged. Love you so much. I'll see you soon.